So the first hearing happened in Heidelberg, which is a small city outside of Johannesburg, around about 30 to 40 kilometers south of Johannesburg. And when we arrived there, the venue was packed. The parking lot was packed. There was police everywhere. And more than only 300, I think only 350, I stand in a correction, but only 350 participants or people were allowed in the venue and the rest were left in the parking lot. Hello world. Welcome to the Vaping Unplugged podcast. Everything you need to know about vaping and tobacco harm reduction. Hi vapers, you're listening to the podcast Vaping Unplugged. As you know, we're discussing vaping policies globally, uh, and you can listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts on all platforms. Um, Today, we are discussing a very interesting and hot topic, uh, South Africa and protests in South Africa. There are hearings on the Tobacco Products and Electronic Delivery Systems Control Bill, um, and it caused a lot of controversy among public and to figure out what's going on in South Africa, we invited Kurt Yo, who is a prominent advocate for vaping in South Africa, who is a founder of Vaping Saved My Life. And also we have an honor to have him as a, and VSML uh, as our partner. Hi, Kurt. It's always great to have you as our guest. How are you? Good afternoon, Nisa. I'm very good in yourself. Good, thank you. So before we dive deeper into what's going on right now and current developments, I just want to, I know you uh, already recorded one episode with us um, recently, but just generally, maybe you could tell our listeners about yourself once again, and what have you been up to with uh, Vaping Saved My Life after the first episode? So any news you want to share with us? Well, yeah, just a brief, you know, quick introduction. I am a a former smoker. I smoked for 20 years, and at the height of my smoking, I uh, smoked 40 cigarettes a day. About 10 years ago, I had quit smoking with the use of flavored nicotine vapes. Um, And it was about six years ago, I decided to start doing some advocacy work around vaping because I believed that there was a lot of... uh, misrepresentation and misperceptions around vaping and the impact it could do or could have on public health as well as individuals. I think individuals are critically important that in this uh, conversation um, because the impact it had, smoking, the impact smoking had on me and my family, uh, I felt that it was important that we look at this particular technology with, with great curiosity and empathy. Um, as I said, uh, I started, uh, I co-founded uh, Vaping Saved My Life around about six years ago, uh, over six years ago, and since 2019, it's been a permanent uh, thing in my life, um, and uh, yes, that's pretty much what, what we've been doing, is trying to promote the product uh, or promote the technology, as well as provide proper science or proper evidence around around uh, vaping and how it could assist. Um, it's been an incredibly busy year um, and it ended off really with what we are trying to do with the public hearings in South Africa. South Africa has a pending bill, a bill that was introduced to the public in 2018 and uh, we've been on this journey since then and it's now coming to a point where uh, the public can participate 
uh, and uh, provide their opinions on this bill. Um, um, uh, thanks, uh, Kurt. I, I just want to say we were going to get to the bill, but I just want to also jump in because you were talking about your other campaigns too. And I'm very much inspired by what you're, by what you're doing. I'm a huge, huge fan of your social experiment, for instance. And for everyone who's listening and watching, I uh, very much encourage you to check out Vaping Saved My Life if you haven't done so on social media platforms and just check out all the great work that um, Kurt and other Vaping Saved My Life uh, members are doing because it's really inspiring and really showcases how vaping actually can help with smoking cessation. Um, Kurt, you were about to start talking about the bill, so I'm, I'm sorry I interrupted you and we can go on. If you could just explain um, to the listeners what did this bill entail in the first place? So um, how did it target vaping? Maybe that would be also a very especially interesting part and why you were protesting it, because I know that was a large part of your activities and campaigns. So the bill was introduced to the public in 2018 and the idea or the intention of the bill is, 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 is a good one. It, it's to reduce smoking rates and, and, and to increase uh, public health um, in South Africa. Um, and what it's doing is it's actually taking the 1993 tobacco bill and all of its amendments. The last amendment was made in 2008 uh, and, and introducing more regulations and, and, and restrictions into the bill as well as now for the first time regulating um, electronic nicotine or electronic non-nicotine delivery systems into the bill, um, which in essence is not a bad thing. How unfortunately, the reason why we disagree with the bill and many, many people in, in the space disagree with the bill because there's no real clear distinction between the difference of combustible tobacco and electronic delivery systems or vaping for a better term. There's no real distinction. They pretty much meet the same uh, restrictions and prohibition, um, which we believe is um, unfortunate because I understand vaping as being part of the solution and not part of the problem. And this bill treats it as a problem. And there's a lot of things within the bill that is um, problematic in terms of having this product used in a, in a more effective way. Um, so, for example, one of the big issues around this is a clause around promotion and advertising. If you read carefully in the part of the section of the bill and as well as the definition of the bill, by me simply having a conversation with you on this platform and saying that vaping is significantly less harmful and vaping could help you quit smoking, I could face 10 years of prison and a fine or even both. So just by indicating that, based on evidence, based on science, I could face a jail term. Um, it is insane. And then we look at, for example, just the definition of smoke. The, what we've seen or what we've heard coming out of the World Health Organization is that smoke and aerosol generated from a vape is seen as the same thing. Then there's a definition around things like enclosed or indoor, they're they indicating that it's, it's, it's to ban 
smoking and vaping in public indoor places and certain outdoor places. But if you read the definition of the bill, it talks about enclosed. And in that enclosed definition, it says anything, any wall or multiple walls or a roof is considered as a place where vaping cannot um, or smoking cannot be uh, allowed. Now, in a scenario like South Africa, that is rather problematic because there are some very highly dense areas where this kind of action is uh, could never be policed or enforced. And typically what that would mean is that a, a person who smokes or vapes would have to go a very long distance to find a place that meets that criteria because anything that has a wall or multiple walls as well as a roof or not even as well it has a roof irrespective of the material it's it's constructed out and, ir and irrespective of whether it's permanent or temporary cannot vape or smoke in that area so effectively it removes the the, the, the protection of basic elements away from people that are nicotine users uh, and that's really quite problematic um, for anybody because it does distinguish or does differentiate um, uh, the, the different rights of a person who doesn't smoke or vape versus a person who does smoke that they they've removed those you know those basic rights so it, it is rather problematic and and that's pretty much why we are kicking back is because we don't see this differentiation between combustible tobacco and and, and um, vaping and a lot of the laws in there uh, and a lot of um, restrictions in, uh, in within the bill now becomes criminalized so they're introducing criminal sanctions against people that, in my eyes, would literally uh, consider it as a, as a life-saving technology. What you're saying now is truly insane. And um, obviously, it's really good that you're there to protest it. But as far as I understand and what I've heard from you guys being there and trying to be vocal, this bill also showcased a general political problem in South Africa. I, I, as far as I understand, during the hearings, um, people who are not listened to, right, the members of public or are not allowed on the hearings. And could you explain to our listeners, like, generally, how should this policy making process ideally go versus how it is going right now and then how did we end up in 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 this situation where people are actually protesting outside and um they have this huge um huge anger i would say and and a fair one because they're not listened to well it's actually very strange because in 2013 our parliament introduced a uh, participation public participation framework where it's very clearly indicates the certain steps and guidelines around how how this process should should unfold and it talks about things like being able to ad or advertise that this is going to happen in a particular area in south africa and that has to happen within five weeks or at least five weeks before the actual event there has to be workshops, and those workshops need to go to all the stakeholders to introduce the bill 
and presentable in a way that they can understand because South Africa does have a history and South Africa does have varying varying uh, issues around social there's very varying social issues around there so according to according to the framework it's important to go to the public introduce the bill introduce it in a way that they can understand and let them consume that information and then derive a response to that it talks about how people interested stakeholders or interested people can be afforded transport to these venues and in some cases even provided some kind of refreshments and food because of, of, of it could be an entire day event um, so that's been in place since 2013 as a guideline as a framework and also interestingly enough just before this bill went into this process of public participation through the portfolio committee of health our very own constitutional court made a ruling on a previous bill that was passed that failed on all of those steps. And they indicated that the bill is no longer uh, feasible or the bill cannot be passed. It needs to be pushed back to Parliament and they've been given 24 months to rectify it and rehost those public participations in the very same way as what the guidelines had stipulated because the constitutional court had quite correctly stated that not all stakers, not all stakeholders in that particular bill were given an opportunity and a fair opportunity to, to, um, to engage with the process. And what we've seen is the same thing happening in this bill. We don't see this bill being advertised um, in a particular area within five weeks period or given five weeks period. We don't see um, workshops or at least i haven't seen workshops where they engage with stakeholders and typically um, the venues that they select are rather problematic so i'll give you a good example is that in one of the particular hearings the venue was only really decided or at least approved officially the night before the hearing and the only way we can communicate to the rest of South Africa is through WhatsApp groups or through, because we only find out literally a couple of days before the actual event where it's going to be. We know sometimes that it's going to be in a particular province in South Africa, and then we'll know that it's going to be in a particular city. But we actually never know until a couple of days before the hearing that it's going to be in that location of that particular city, which is problematic incredibly problematic because it doesn't allow people the opportunity to make plans to get to these hearings to have their say. But when we get to a lot of these hearings, what, we what we're finding out is the venues are rather small and they can only hold X amount of individuals. I think the most we've seen is 350 individuals at a particular hearing. The hearings typically start late um, and almost always end early. And what happens in these hearings is that not everybody gets a chance to have a say. Um, and even the process in these hearings are, in my view, problematic because the chairperson of, of the committee would then ask people to raise their hands as to who wants to speak. He then will select the individuals that he wants to hear from. They will then be given some time to speak. And at the end of the day, we only see maybe 30 to 35 individuals being given an opportunity in that particular setting and the rest are, are not heard. And that is not in the spirit of our constitution and that is not in the spirit of this particular process, public participation. 
And I think that's where a lot of the frustration is coming from. I see. Thanks for elaborating and explaining what's going on at the moment. Can we get to the protest part? So when did the protest start? Um, what is happening at the moment? And do you have like any idea what we, can be a potential outcome of those uh, protests that are happening right now? So the previous, there's, there's been five provinces that have covered from these hearings. So typically a province sees these hearings and it runs over a weekend. It starts on a Friday afternoon and it ends on a Sunday. Um, and that usually, you know, the Fridays in this particular location or that town, the Saturdays in another town, and then the Sundays in a, a separate town altogether. And what you've seen in the last four have been in relatively small provinces, provinces that don't have the same scale of population as, for example, Gauteng, which is our most populous um, province in the country. Um, so there was some grumblings there, there was some issues around that. But now then they moved into Gauteng, the most populous, the, uh, you know, and Gauteng hosts two major cities, Johannesburg and Pretoria, or Twane as it's called in South Africa, Pretoria. Hey everyone, hold up on the vaping for a second, we've got something very special for you. You ever have that feeling when someone's always saying don't do this, can't have that? Well, Fan Police is a podcast that is all about that. People trying to ban what you enjoy from a beer to a piece of chocolate. It's delivered by the Consumer Choice Center. It's a five-part series and it digs deep into why some people so desperately want to ban our fun. Well, Fan Police is easy listening and it's coming your way every week. Uh, now just get ready for a quick preview. Did you vape today? Or drink? Did you have a beer, a glass of wine, place a bet or eat chocolate? There are activists out there who believe that you are hurting yourself and that for the sake of the greater good, you should be banned from doing it. These activists are neo-prohibitionists. They don't believe in your right to choose and they have big budgets to lobby governments to restrict your lifestyle. And their actions have real consequences. Prohibition of, of something, whether it's riding without a seatbelt, whether it's selling cigarettes, this creates new opportunities for citizens to interact with the police. Garner, who had been accused of selling cigarettes illegally on New York's Staten Island, seen here being taken down by NYPD officer Daniel Pantaleo. So this Orwellian-sounding FCTC is about benefiting the black market and making poor people pay. I listen to people saying, oh, we don't want to tax the poor. Well, we want the poor to live longer so that they can get an education and enjoy life. This group took public money to create a pseudoscientific amalgamation of studies with low scientific validity to lecture you about having more than two beers a week. I think anybody here can see through the nonsense. Fun Police, a five-part Consumer Choice Center original podcast, uncovering the prohibitionist movements seeking to ban it all. New episodes dropping weekly wherever you get your podcasts. So the first hearing happened in Heidelberg, which is a small city outside of Johannesburg, around about 30 to 40 kilometers south of Johannesburg. And when we arrived there, the venue was packed. The parking lot was packed. There was police everywhere. And 
more than only 300, I think only 350, I stand in a correction, but only 350 participants or people were allowed in the venue and the rest were left in the parking lot. Um, and what happened in that particular venue um, is that a lot of singing and um, political songs and, uh, you know, happened before the hearing. The hearing uh, started, between, I think it was an hour and a half to two hours late. Um, a lot of tension was starting to, to boil to the surface. Um, and the reason why I believe that was, was the scenario is that Heidelberg hosts one of the biggest tobacco manufacturing plants in the world. And the majority of the individuals in that particular hearing were affiliated to that tobacco plant. And in fact, the city of Heidelberg, a very large portion of their revenue and the services they provide is because of this, the, the plant being in that particular city. So I think there was a lot of that that was happening. Um, I didn't make it to the Western area uh, hearing, which happened on the Saturday, but apparently that was also fairly heated. But it was on Sunday when they hosted it in Pretoria, our capital, one of our capitals. We have two capitals in the country, Cape Town and Pretoria. When they hosted in Pretoria, that venue could only hold 250 individuals. Now, to give you an understanding, Gauteng, which is a relatively small province, in fact, it's the smallest province in South Africa, has 15 million people. And Pretoria has 4 million people, just over 4 million people, and its neighboring city, which is not very far away from Pretoria, Johannesburg, has over 4 million people. And adjacent to that, in the, in the area that I live, in the metropolitan area that I live, which is called Ikueleni, has also 4 million people. So we're talking 12 million people that was provided one hearing that could host 250 individuals. And I think what happened was, is that fortunately I got there very early to secure a spot. Um, but for a lot of people in these areas, traveling to that location might have been an issue. Um, and when they got there, the gates were closed and they weren't allowed to enter the hall. And they were demanding or creating, wanting to either have the hearing postponed to, to uh, a different time and a different venue that could host more of them or be allowed in the venue. And because that was refused, they started uh, protesting and what we call in South Africa a toy toy. And the police got involved and it got really heated and it created a lot of tension. Um, and that's what played out. Uh, in Pretoria. I see. Um, uh, from what you're telling me, I have this kind of impression that um, the government or the policymakers, they know that this bill is likely to get the pushback. So there are some um, challenges and technicalities created so that people cannot um, attend the hearing or cannot raise their voice. And like, this is really sad to see and to hear and as far as i understand in this protest there are different representatives and different groups um but what would be your message to vapors and what do you think they should do to make sure their voices are heard at least try to do so instead like in spite of those uh, challenges and what kind of stance should vaping community take in this case in your opinion of course 
I think it needs to be very clear that the vaping community is incredibly small uh, in South Africa, and it's because of our social economic status. A very large portion of South Africa, the majority of South Africans, are poverty-stricken. You know, if we look at some of the scenarios, 41% of South Africans are unemployed. And where the kickback, where the majority of the kickback is coming from, is not necessarily from the vaping community. It's from the poorer communities that have become reliant on the ability to sell tobacco products. Um, and this bill will effectively remove that ability of them to, to make a living, eke out a living by selling cigarettes. And some of them being associated with farms, because South Africa does have tobacco farms, they feel that their jobs might be in jeopardy. And those that are working in the tobacco space or in the industry, in the supply chain, also feel that they might be losing their jobs. So it, it's now blending into this into a broader a broader problem in South Africa, and what's what a large part of this is to do with the illicit trade in South Africa. The illicit tobacco trade in South Africa is anywhere between fifty four to seventy percent. So my message to vapors and South Africans as a whole is that we need to understand, although we don't, you know we might not see tobacco in a positive light. We might see it in a very negative light, which is understandable because of its health implications. But where South Africa finds itself at the moment is that what's more harmful to the public? Tobacco and smoking, which we all know is incredibly dangerous, and I'm the first one to say it, or people unable to work and put food on their table. What is the biggest threat to South Africa as we speak? Given this, we need to really understand is that if smoking was such a major concern to the health department and to the government, why haven't they put measures to control the illicit trade? Why haven't they put measures to put uh, for cessation in public spaces? Because the only thing that's available to almost all people who smoke in South Africa is a quit or die approach. They don't have access to services and support. So my message to South Africans and to people around there is that you need to look at this holistically and then take those opportunities to voice your opinion, particularly if you're a vapor in the country, because this is definitely going to have a major effect in you practicing harm reduction and your choices because we're not being heard. And in, in, in my view, a lot of the time, it's they don't want to hear us. Um, and... I think we need to, the next hearings that happen in the Western Cape or in the, in the KwaZulu-Natal area and the Eastern Cape is to grab those opportunities and elevate your voices and make sure that you are heard um, because it's vitally important that the government and policymakers understand that there are people out there that rely on these products, not just from an income perspective or from an economics perspective, but also the perspective of harm reduction and making choices. And the government needs to understand that it's, they need to take that into account. And they can't just rough ride a process through like they're doing currently. Thank you so much, uh, Kurt, uh, for explaining what is going on in South Africa. I think it's incredibly, um, first of all, inspiring that you're that you keep fighting and also it's very important that other people who uh, are passionate about tobacco harm reduction hear what's going on in south africa at the moment we're slowly moving to the last part of our interview and as a last question i just want to ask you as you have a very 
big experience in being a pro-vaping advocate and also you're right now going through a challenging um, time with that because you're fighting a lot and you're, you have incredible campaigns. What would be your main takeaway from this experience and just your general say for vapors around the world who are looking at what's going on, for instance, in South Africa at the moment? It's been one of my mantras for for many years is the empathy around tobacco use and 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 you know people in this space. Empathy is a, a, one of the things that I believe is missing. And a very valuable lesson was taught to me over this weekend by seeing how you know don't be too quick to judge judge individuals that are reliant on tobacco. You know, we're all very quick to say tobacco is is bad and it, it needs to be trashed out. And we agree with that from a health perspective. But there are a lot of communities out there that rely on this product to put food on their table. I don't believe a lot of people, particularly in South Africa and maybe even the world, understand that for many, many, many households around, particularly in Africa, tobacco plays an important role in the ability to just survive. They might not be using it, but they're selling and manufacturing and planting it is central to their existence. We can't just cut it out. We can't just stop it. And that level of empathy needs to be brought into the conversation. We're not, for example, in Europe or in the United States, where you know it's the majority of the consumers are in the middle class. We're now talking about a whole wide range of individuals that are poverty stricken and what they have available to them is things that they can sell on the street corner and that money that they that they gather from that is to support their families and to support themselves and i've heard a lot of very sad stories over this last journey in these public hearings of how people are selling single cigarettes so they can literally buy a half a loaf of bread. And that's sobering. You know, it's really sobering, you know, because you don't understand that that, that particular product is, is, is helping someone put food on their table. And that's the scenario that we see in Africa. And it's that level of empathy that if we need to take it away from them, what do we give them in place to keep surviving? And I don't believe South Africa is in that situation where it can just do this switching like we would do with smoking and vaping. What do we do for in those individuals? If we want to see a smoke-free generation in South Africa, it doesn't just mean restrictions and laws and sensation. It actually means providing a, another opportunity or provide opportunities for these people to make a living, to, to survive. Because without it, they will literally starve to death. And that's the sobering thought here, is that it's very, it, it goes a lot deeper and a lot broader than I ever anticipated. And um, that empathy now needs to come, spread across those talking points as well. It's not just about the rights of vapors. It's about how do we bring everybody in this space to a better place without tobacco. 
Thank you very much, Kurt. It's always a pleasure having you and thanks for your time and best of luck uh, with your uh, protests and activities in South Africa. Let's see what happens. Thank you very much, Lisa.